Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. I'd actually like to take this opportunity to wish... Greg DeMarco Show. Best in all his future endeavors. for the Greg DeMarco Show. That's right. So when you hear that song, you will know that it's me. I'm back on the airwaves, and this is a very different edition of the Greg DeMarco Show because it's a solo show. It's not really a solo show because there will be an interview with the great Kevin Gill coming up here shortly, but uh, I have kind of brought back the Greg DeMarco Show, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that first. What this is, if you've been listening, you know that back in 2011, Patrick O'Dowd and I started the Greg DeMarco Show, and it wasn't even supposed to be called that, but we didn't have another name. That was the working title. It stuck. We kept it there, and we've had many iterations, and of course, now, that show with Chair Shot Radio with myself, Patrick O'Dowd, and Miranda Morales, and in, in making that move to continue to further the Chair, Chair Shot brand, I kind of pushed the Greg DeMarco Show aside, knowing that I eventually wanted to bring it back in some form, and this is kind of the side hustle in its own individual form, and that's what we're doing here today. You'll get some takes, and then you'll get a great interview, and then a little something extra. Today, I got a special walking edition of Driving with DeMarco, about five or so minutes that I think you'll enjoy that I recorded this morning, and uh, that, of course, will go in in between these takes and, and everything else that we got going on, so... This is the Greg DeMarco Show, created for you. It's a crazy world right now. Content is something that we can all use more of, and that's what I want to bring to you. So I'm sure it'll change, it'll evolve, it'll grow, and we'll have a chance to, to do some of this together. So follow me on social media, at ChairShotGreg. Heck, you can email me. First of all, that at ChairShotGreg is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. Notice when it's different, the the, the, the when you got the vowel in the beginning? Yep. That's what we do right there. You can even send me an email, Greg DeMarco at thechairshot.com, or head on over to thechairshot.com and go to chairshot, excuse me, head on over to thechairshot.com forward slash Greg DeMarco. There we go. And you can follow me on all different platforms. You can sign up for my email newsletter and get this stuff emailed straight to your inbox so you don't have to look for it. Uh, and just a lot of convenient ways to follow along and have some fun. Of course, the Greg DeMarco Show is part of the ChairShot Radio Network, which is presented in conjunction with TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. So for all of your favorite wrestling news, reviews, opinions, and analysis, done with the attitude you've come to know and love, lots of podcasts, lots of great articles, just so many good things, head on over to TheChairShot.com. 
TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. You can also head on over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash TheChairShot and pick up some t-shirts. But I'm not going to tell you about it. I want to give you a break from me. So check this out. Viva la raza! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the queen of soft style herself, Miranda Morales, co-host of Chairshot Radio and the host of the Hashtag Miranda Show. And I'm here to tell you where you can find the best t-shirts around. Well, you can find them on ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the Chairshot. There you can find over 25 different styles, designs, and colors, all in support of the Chairshot.com. Don't forget to pick up your Queen of Soft Style t-shirt, but also you can pick up the hashtag Save Tag Team Wrestling, Baron Corbin Sucks, and the OG Cheer Shot t-shirt. So go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Cheer Shot to get your very own t-shirt today. Again, that's ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Cheer Shot to get your very own Cheer Shot t-shirt. And don't forget, get in in soft style. And once you have a chance to pick up your very own Chair Shot t-shirt, head on over to powerslam.tv, enter a promo code and get a free month. And you can go over there and, and, and get a free week just without doing anything. But why get a free week when you can get a free month? Enter the promo code Chair Shot and you will get a free month of powerslam.tv. Why? Well, check this out and you'll see why. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot, powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Pick up or subscribe. Get all the wrestling you can possibly handle. They had new stuff every single day. It's only six bucks a month after that that month that free month expires. It's a hell of a deal. Powerslam.tv promo code chair shot. Shut up! Johnny idiot face. Now, I'm going to keep today's take a little bit short. And the reason why is because the Kevin Gill interview ran a little bit long. Kevin is just a great interview. You're going to love the positivity. You're going to love the story. Don't talk a whole lot of wrestling. Talk more about his involvement in video games and the music industry. I think you're really going to dig that. But he is a wrestling guy, so there's no way around that in the interview. Trust me, you will hear that in there, and you will definitely enjoy him. But what we're going to talk about instead, or before we get to that point, is money in the bank. Now, WWE is coming off of a tumultuous time, right? Everything's shut down. The entire world is shut down thanks to COVID-19 and the spread of the coronavirus. WrestleMania was held at the Performance Center as well as a couple other undisclosed locations. And the WWE has really expanded their creative horizon. We saw the, the, the Boneyard match with AJ Styles and The Undertaker. We saw the Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena 
and Bray Wyatt and The Fiend. We even saw the Last Man Standing match with Randy Orton and Edge, which I think we might want to start considering a cinematic effort as well by WWE. NXT had the cinematic match between Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, which was highly entertaining uh, on its own right, and, and maybe my favorite out of the three or four cinematic matches that we've talked about. But now we get to Money in the Bank, where the company is doing something ultra-creative, and something I really dig. Uh, we, we just kind of assumed that event was going to take place at the Performance Center once Baltimore's Royal Farms Arena canceled it. But no, it's actually going to emanate from the WWE headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. And the tagline for this event is Climbing the Corporate Ladder. If you don't already know, and you probably do, but the six participants in the men's and women's Money in the Bank ladder matches will start on the ground floor of Titan Towers and fight their way up to the roof, where we've seen there's going to be a ring, suspended ladders, and of course, the briefcases hanging up above. I love it. I absolutely love that they're taking the the opportunity uh, when it's available to them and doing something different. You know, we've seen the Performance Center. We see the Performance Center every single week, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes it gets old. So instead, we flip things around, and we have, uh, you know, money in the bank taking place in just the most unique environment possible. They have used the roof of Titan Towers before they filmed the opening of Raw, back when it became Raw's War, back in the day with explosions and all sorts of stuff. So they're not afraid to use the roof of Titan Towers. But this is just completely different, com- completely out of the, you know, outside the box. And I am very excited that the company is going in this direction and doing it. What are we going to see? Who knows? That's the great thing about this. We've seen way more of the Performance Center than ever before, thanks to WrestleMania and the recordings that have taken place there recently. And we're about to see way more of the WWE headquarters than we have ever seen before. And to me, that's a major drawing card of this show, to to be able to see the ins and outs of the WWE headquarters. I love it. I mean, if you don't think someone's going to fight in Vince McMahon's office, you're crazy. That will be a location for a fight. That will take place during that show, and it's just going to be so much fun. There's a gym in that place. I think they still have a studio there. Uh, We've seen some of the offices when when we see Kathy Kelly do her little updates and things like that. It's just going to be a blast, and I can't wait to watch this show. I hope you're excited about it. You know, this is a time frame where WWE is going out of their way to give us content. They're losing money in what they're doing, but they're not, they're not willing to give up. They're not willing to take that step back uh, and, and just rely on their vast library of content. They're still putting out new stuff, and they're still trying to help us, you know, with things that we might enjoy. I don't know if the other matches at Money in the Bank will take place on the roof of Titan Towers or if those will be recorded at the Performance Center or maybe Full Sail, and, and then we'll just see the Money in the Bank ladder matches there. Who knows? I wouldn't mind seeing the, the regular matches take place on the roof of Titan Towers. Who knows? But I'm very excited to see just how they pull this off. They've surprised me. The Boneyard match was a an absolute blast to see AJ Styles and The Undertaker fight in the way they did. I love the hybrid Undertaker where the dead man meets the badass, meets Mark Calloway. And sad, of course, that, you know, that was the last we see of Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows. But just an amazing, amazing spectacle they put on, topped only by that crazy acid trip of a Firefly Funhouse that we saw the second night of WrestleMania with John Cena and Bray Wyatt and The Fiend. Just a crazy, crazy happening. Uh, I actually recently put out an article that you can find uh, on my newsletter, gregdemarco.substack.com or thechairshot.com forward slash gregdemarco. The article itself was also printed on thechairshot.com where I speculate how this is going to change John Cena 
after fighting the fiend so go check that out as well uh, but then we followed that up of course with Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa in NXT where they fought in this really smoky it was a gym if you look closely you'll see the, the bleachers that were in there but just a, a great fight they had I really liked the atmosphere provided I liked them fighting outside yes they fought on the roof of a truck just like Edge and Randy Orton did but it was it, probably my favorite because of the aura that it presented of those matches because it felt like an old town old school bar fight almost and I really did enjoy that and, and I didn't mind the finish either to be honest with you I don't think that feud's done uh, again this is just kind of random commentary now as we sort of play catch up but it all brings us to money in the bank um, the only drawback about all of this is I do think we will kind of get fatigued by the performance center just like we'd get fatigued if Raw was in the same arena every week and the same as Smackdown and everywhere else but that's that's what we have you know maybe maybe they can you know use that warehouse that they use or the gym they use for Champ on Gargano and do an episode of Raw or Smackdown from there and give us something different down the road but they've recently released the, the taping schedule that's available to chairshot.com too in the news from Cook's Corner and so we're in this until July for, for this type of taping and this type of schedule. Um, so, you know, get used to it. Get ready for it. It's what we're going to have. But Money in the Bank is just, uh, it's a staple pay-per-view. I still remember WrestleMania 21 when we saw the first ever Money in the Bank ladder match. I was there at WrestleMania 26 when it was the last one that took place at a WrestleMania. Uh, they had the pay-per-view later that summer. And then, of course, The Miz with the famous cash-in of the briefcase and then from there uh, Money in the Bank has been its own thing and has been very very successful a lot of people consider it kind of the fifth major in terms of WWE pay-per-views creating the big five so to speak they've even had a uh, uh, I believe they've had a takeover around Money in the Bank I could be wrong about that though but now Money in the Bank of course has to alter change course and emanate from the WWE headquarters all I'm going to say is check it out. And, and I say that, but I haven't seen a ton of negative feedback either. I, I think I saw more negative feedback about the Performance Center being used for WrestleMania than I have seen about this being used for Money in the Bank, this being the WWE's corporate headquarters. And I think some of that's because we saw what they delivered at WrestleMania in those cinematic matches, uh, which I think we should have seen more of. But I, I think we can see some great stuff out of this. Who, who knows what we're going to see, but let's just sit back, relax, enjoy that ride. And, and see what they give us. Because hopefully we never have to see this kind of thing again. Once we're out of this, I kind of think July, August, maybe even September is when we're finally out of this. Maybe SummerSlam that it would be can come back. Who knows? But I think once we're out of this, we may not see these kind of things again. Uh, we might see The Undertaker in a, in, a, in a Boneyard match. But I don't know that we'll see a ton of this because they'll be back to the normal environment. What the WWE has done for decades upon decades upon decades and it's been worked for them and so while i think we'll see some of this we're going to get more of it now than we ever will so let's just enjoy it and, and let's kick back and see what they give us money in the bank i think it's going to be great obviously there's the potential from the fall on their face but i do think we're going to have a blast and we're really going to enjoy that so quick pulse check for everybody just kind of want to see you know how you're feeling i'm doing fantastic man how are you greg
Obviously, I'm feeling fantastic, man. And you knew that. You knew that before that song even played. So we're going to shift gears right now. You're going to listen to a little walking edition of Driving with DeMarco, about five minutes of, of some thoughts really related to the coronavirus, my corona routine, my rona routine, not a whole lot about wrestling, and then just an amazing interview with the OG himself, Kevin Gill. Super positive. I think it's a message we all need to hear right now. You're going to love it. I can't wait to hear what you think. Hit me up on social media at ChairShotGreg. Email me, GregDemarco with the ChairShot.com. Let's learn more about each other. Let's see what we can learn from Kevin, and let's just enjoy the ride. For now, we'll try to keep, keep up PMA. For now, we'll try to keep living. Now, Kevin, anyone tuning in for the wrestling stuff, I got to be honest, we probably won't get there today. There's just too much fascinating stuff outside of that. It's impossible for us to cover everything because there's just too much there. So I'm not going to speak for you, but there's obviously going to have to be a part two to all this. I'm just saying. Oh, well, I... Obviously, I'm flattered to be asked in the first place, and uh, I can already go ahead. My people are indicating that I should nod yes and say 100% <laughs> I'm confirmed every time and any time you need me, man. I, I love to chop it up with with intelligent and articulate people in and around the business and in all, all aspects of it. You know what I mean? So there's like the news side, the fan side, the performer side. There's so many sides of, of the business and including the actual business part. Um, it's just it's always a treat to be able to chop it up, you know? Oh, yeah, 100%, 100%. You know, this is – so I, I had to kind of dig back into the archives a little bit. This is actually not the first time we've done this. Um, you came on the old format of the Greg DeMarco Show back with myself, Patrick O'Dowd, which is now Chair Shot Radio along with Miranda Morales, in a spot that was arranged last minute. You were promoting something. I feel like it was a movie thing. I don't exactly remember. Yeah. And a good friend the- of mine, Dom Vitale, hit me wow. up about having oh, – I talked to Dom weekly – uh, hit me up about having you on to promote this thing. And here's the crazy part. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what you pr- were promoting or why, but I remembered you. And, and this this PMA force of nature that, that I needed and that right now we all need more of. So that's what, you know, that, that stuck with me. That was probably eight or nine years ago and has stuck with wow. me to this day. That's crazy. That was the uh, Pro Wrestling Film Festival in New York City. That I believe right. that I was yeah. probably on um, promoting that's wild. Well, I, I'm flattered. I'm honored. You know, obviously, a lot of people come through your doors and uh, bless your microphone. So it's honored to to be thought of. I'm glad I could be here, man. And uh, like you said, uh, as much entertainment as people hopefully derive from from our conversation, it gets me all hyped just to have this conversation, to go through memories and analyze thoughts and have this discussion. You know what I mean? It's just it's like a different it's a different world nowadays. I mean, I love to do it anyway. But right. now I really, really, really love to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to do some of that. But it, it's you know it's crazy how things happen in life that motivate us to do stuff and, and how I'm suddenly starting the solo podcast and interviewing you 
all kind of because we have more time now. And I throw this in because they're just parts of life that are historically significant. And my hope is that people listen to this interview in, in coming years from now and be impacted by it. And uh, so I want to just share with everybody that today is April 16th, 2020. And that means we're all quarantined under a stay-at-home order of some kind, just something. All thanks to the spread of COVID-19 and the coronavirus. So I can't ignore that off the jump. How are you dealing with that? How are you handling all that? Uh, it's weird. I don't know that I am full. Like I'm, I'm handling it, it in the sense that, uh, you know, I have groceries and I'm inside. You know what I mean? But on the on the other side, I, I don't know that I've fully, fully, fully processed yet, like the the full uh, magnitude of, of the whole thing. And, you know, obviously uh, all my work, like, uh, you know, we had the collective coming up for Game Changer Wrestling. Uh, we had Game Changer Wrestling in Las Vegas. Uh, there's uh, still a bunch of dates scheduled this year for the UK and, and Mexico and like all this stuff. And it's like, and that's crazy. Do you know what I mean? And now I don't know. You know what I mean? Like some stuff is officially postponed. You know what I mean? But now you have states like today, I guess, Ohio announced they'll be open or whatever on May 1st. We'll, I guess we'll see what that means. But right. And now you have WWE and AEW doing TV in uh, in Florida. At least WWE is. It seems like AEW would follow suit if that's what the law permits. And I guess Impact Wrestling is doing Uh, is doing or has done some tapings I read. So in other words, if they all can do it, I would imagine that, uh, and states start opening, I would imagine the Indies are going to be back pretty soon, whether that's a hundred percent good or a hundred percent bad, I guess, isn't, isn't my call, but, uh, I definitely, I've been following the rules. Like I've been staying the fuck at home, like excessively, like very limited trips, like just go out and get some uh, get some groceries like once a week, once every like nine days, like load up and then right. just stay in. Maybe go to a post office run, like if people grab stuff off my eBay or my site or whatever. I always love mailing stuff like the same day just to have it like back into the world, you know. But that's a quick, a very quick masked walk. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so it's... I'm lucky. I got. I got my girl is on lockdown here with me or whatever. And she's been working from home full time. So that, uh, that certainly helps. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've got like alone in it. I'm working from home. My wife's working from home. My kids are doing school from home. Like it's just a lot of from home stuff. I get out of the house daily, usually to exercise. Um, I had lost some weight before all this and hit a plateau. And so I trying to use this. My goal is to come out of this better than I went into it. And that's really what I'm trying to, trying to do whatever that looks like, you know, everything's closed, can't go to the gym, can't do anything, but, you know, found a lot of new places to go and and run and walk and and discovered some new lakes I didn't realize were close by. So, yeah, it's just crazy the things that that you do. Um, But, you know, wrestling and and podcasting and talking and and music and video games and everything is an escape. And so we can escape from all that for a little bit and I think give that to some people. And, And for you, you know, I want to go back to kind of the beginning because your professional journey basically started with... It just sounds crazy. You started your own record label. And, uh, and what I don't know, so how in the hell does a guy in his early, probably in his early 20s, with no internet, no YouTube, no iTunes, no nothing like that, start a goddamn record label? Like, how? Well, I mean, I grew up loving music as a kid, and, uh, and, and wrestling caught my attention at a super young age. And I feel like the, the magic and creation of music, like music and wrestling to me are very similar in that, 
couple of people, usually good friends, get together and lay out some magic, so to speak, uh, compose a piece and then record it or perform it or whatever. <clears throat> so uh, I think just being super into music and that that time where it's like the Beastie Boys are coming out and Hulkamania is running wild and all this stuff's happening. And you and I live in New York City at the time, which is like the birthplace of New York hardcore music and like such a hotbed for music of all genres, but especially of the kind of underground variety. You know what I mean? So I think all that stuff just super influenced me. So when wrestling kind of hit, hit its doldrums in the early 90s, I was already a few years into going to shows for several years in a row and going to see all my favorite underground bands. But then you just keep, in a way, going further off the map, meaning like you go from seeing Sick of It All play at the Ritz, <clears throat> which holds like whatever it is, 1,800 people, to then going to see really small bands like Without a Cause play to 45 people right. or Mad Ball or all these bands that some of them became very iconic. But what they all had in common was that they almost had nowhere to play and they had small audiences, but they were killing it. So I think it was like exposure to all that and then being there. And uh, I developed a friendship with a band named Without a Cause. And I started going to their shows and just being so blown away by how good they were. And they had uh, they had no connection to anybody. Like they didn't have a, a brother in, in the game, you know what I mean? Or their neighbor right. or they were just outsiders, so to speak that loved the music, you know, lived in New York, but they weren't part of the the scene. Like, they didn't know people, you know what I mean? And it shows you the kind of beauty of that scene, which is that as soon as we got the music out there and then they got to raise their stakes and play on bigger shows and play with all their favorite bands and whatever, they were then fully acclimated and accepted into the scene. It was just a matter of, of people getting to know them. So... The short answer is I think I got into putting out records out of necessity because I started to see these bands that were so incredible. And I was like, what a waste of fucking time this is that someone, how is someone not putting this out? Like, right. and you'd, I'd run the numbers and this is me, someone who's working like as a, as a receptionist or working in a supermarket or whatever. And I'm thinking like, well, shit, if I just save mo this much money for the next X weeks, I can put this band in the studio and press up this many records, you know what I mean? And then if I sell this many records over this period of time, you know, cost versus sell-through price, like, oh, I can maybe help the band and maybe not lose money, you know what I mean? And that that kind of just um, the DIY mentality, you know what I mean? It's like not just just like PMA, I guess it's not a catchphrase, right. it's really, really a vibe and it's a powerful feeling to make something, to make anything and put it out. And now we have a digital world, which is wonderful. Um, but to me, there's still something so wonderful about um, tangible goods and just putting something physically out into the world. And someone has to write you a letter from another country and mail you money, hidden money to get it or buy it in a little out of a box from you at a show or the handful of stores that would take it. And you just wonder like, wow, the store took 10 copies. And then, you know, whatever, sometime later they were gone. And you would just think about like, who bought these records? Like, who are these <laughs> 10 people? You know what I mean? So that that's kind of just where it started, like being a big fan of the music and being immersed in it and getting all into the scene and everything and then seeing these great bands on the on the rise. You know, if I had a budget, 
or backing. And it wasn't just me taking money from day jobs or even getting a second day job or whatever. Um, uh, if I had any of that, God knows what I could have accomplished because there was a lot of great bands that I, I, if I had, and the amount of money is so laughable, the amount of money that it would take to get now by today's standards to to get a band recorded with recordings that are notably better than what's going on at that time or at, at that level for, or bands like them. You know what I mean? Like suddenly like here's a world-class recording studio. Here's the time. You're not here for four hours. You have like 24 hours of, you know, in two 12 hour sessions, uh, bands weren't accustomed, at least in that, in this slice of the New York hardcore scene. So that kind of just really got me into it. And that just kind of swept me away. And then I just kept riding that wave. And then suddenly a, a company called ECW was repeatedly brought to my attention. And then uh, in like 96, I started going to the ECW arena every month uh, in Philly. I would commute from New York and uh, that just kind of rekindled everything. As far, I never l- stopped liking wrestling and I would still occasionally go to a show. But ECW fully made it feel like, you know what I mean? This is, yeah. you know what I'm saying? The the real, this is Roddy Piper. This mm-hmm. is everything that you loved, you know what I mean? And the violence, you know, it was just something else. Yeah, it brought it back to, to, to the re- what sucked you in, sucked you in again. And that's really what what it kind of, you know, is about for a lot of people. And that's why people gravitate towards certain things now as well, which I, I do get. Um, this is And then funny. also with, with ECW real quick to me is just the, the, to me, the overwhelming influence that it's had on the industry. Like at the time I was living in it, in that ECW moment. And there was people around at the time or so-called experts or whatever, and they would all diminish it or try to talk about whatever. And now you have guys like Jim Cornette who have to kind of swallow all the shit they talked and praise ECW on a Vice documentary and talk about how ECW was able to just take away his top talent because, I mean, what the fuck were they getting paid in, by Jim Cornette and Smoky Mountain? You know what I mean? Yeah, they turn them into bigger stars too in the process, which is – Yeah, and they just created, created magic. And I always – you know, without ECW, there is no Monday Night Wars. You know what I mean? There's – if you just look at – Every guy that came through ECW and was rapidly absorbed by either WCW or WWE, and they all became key, key players. You're talking Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Mick Foley, Steve Austin. And that's just starting. You know what I mean? Rob Van Dam. You can go on forever. Yeah, the influence. will, And and then, of course, you know, now you got Paul Heyman who's running Raw and – it's it's all you know that influence. I mean, that's why we still talk about it today, even though it's been gone since two thousand like two. We, we don't talk and that, about it. And other that's things. the point I was, and that's the point I was trying to make too. Is that while people at the time, haters, critics, cynics, tried to diminish it, they could not see what we all could see that this is a magical time and place, and it's an honor to be able to buy this ticket. And be one of the, you know, 1,100 people that are going to be a few feet away from the craziest damn wrestling show you ever saw, you know? It it was like a living wrestling magazine, you know what I mean? The wrestling magazines back in the day would have the covers that it was all people that you couldn't necessarily see in your area. But it would be some of your guys mixed in too. And you'd see all these bloody screaming faces and just wonder, oh my God, you know, what must that be like? And then you'd see half of those guys then in ECW, so... It was magic. 
It was, and, and people have been trying to recreate it ever since, which is similar to a lot of other a lot of other industries. This, to me, kind of, you know, your, your Twitter, Twitter handle being OG Kevin Gill, which we'll get to, this, to me, defines you as a true OG. You worked at Rockstar Games before it was even Rockstar Games. Like, yes, that how does true. this happen, <laughs> and, and what did you even do there? Well, that, that's like a, that's a, a very much a life changing story, and that happens right in that same window that we were just talking about with the record label and ECW and all that. <clears throat> uh, from doing the record label, you know, I got to get connected with a lot of cool people because we were totally DIY, totally on our own, and you'd meet people who would appreciate the hustle or see the integrity in what you were doing, and and the fans that loved it, and the bands that were grateful to be a part of it. So it made like a a wave, you know what I mean. And um, wait, I'm sorry. I, what was the specific question again? Just, I how, just lost it. How you end up with with you know pre oh, Rockstar yeah, Rock games, Star. and what were you so, doing there? I was all about video games. You know what I'm saying? Video games, music, and wrestling were the primary three um, three ingredients in my forming. You know what I mean? With I guess a little bit of animation, if you want to have that as a sidebar, a little bit of comic books, whatever. But the primary ones were, was that. So. Um, I had started doing some interviews and I had been interviewing um, for a music magazine in Philly. It was called Chord Magazine. Then it went on to become All That Magazine. But the cool thing was they had to hook up with WWE uh, at WWF at that time. So Chord Magazine put me with WWF as their correspondent. So I got to interview like uh, Freddie Blassie and uh, Too Cold Scorpio. Nice. And who else? Uh, we only did a couple. Then they used. I did some interviews on my own that we also published there, like with Terry Funk and Bill Alfonso. But um, so I was getting. The, I was loving doing interviews and interviewing people and getting them published places. So a photographer that I knew and I, I was like, we should collaborate on a magazine. Like you have all these dope pictures that you take of all this stuff, and um, I can interview people. But let's also interview people that are like, for example, we meet all the wrestlers or you could meet all the bands. But who the fuck are these video game people? You know what I mean? Video games have been a big thing for decades and they were about to become an even bigger thing again. It was like another boom period. But I'm like, who are these people? I've never even met anyone that does it. You know what I mean? So I've been waiting for a game called Grand Theft Auto to come out because it was originally published by ASC Games. Uh, here in North America, uh, and it's you know the original Grand Theft Auto. It was later reissued by Take Two and then also Rockstar, but the original you know it was a split distribution deal between ASC and BMG Games. But basically, I was waiting and counting down for the original Grand Theft Auto to come out because I love top-down games. I love that uh, what I call APB style, you know, the cops and robbers um, thing. And I knew it was violent and all that. And I was just waiting for Grand Theft Auto to come out. So the photographer, uh, Jen Torpy, she came over for like a meeting and we were talking about all this stuff. But I got the call from KB Toys that Grand Theft Auto had come in. So we booked over there and I got Grand Theft Auto. And then the re- the meeting was off, obviously, because I had to just play Grand Theft Auto the rest of the day. <laughs> so that I lived out in Queens and that's where we worked out of. So that night she was going down to the Lower East Side of Manhattan to hang out and go to the bars and all that. And normally I would go, but I was like, ah, like, whatever, I'm not going. So she calls me up on the payphone 
from the bar and is like, yo, there's a guy here. And he says he's the guy behind Grand Theft Auto. And he's like trying to buy me a drink or whatever. And she's, I was like, she goes, how do I know that it's for real? You know what I right. mean? Because you just figure, you know what I'm saying? Dude's trying to pick up girls. He might have just stumbled onto a line, you know? So she tells me his name and I open the the book, the booklet that comes with the game. And I just turn to the credits and it says like, you know, executive producer, Sam Hauser. And that was the name she had said. And I was like, he's, I was like, not only is he on the credits, like he's the first name on the credits. <laughs> he's the guy. So yeah, like definitely please get his number. You know what I mean? So I actually ended up writing an interview for her that she went and recorded with him uh, for us to put out. And it was later published by another magazine, but uh, we did that one. And then from that, uh, him and her and me and my girl who was involved with the label, uh, we all went out to dinner and me and Sam kind of hit it off. And then uh, Sam kind of liked all my stories and the stuff that I was working on. And he was a colorful and interesting dude who had worked on all kinds of crazy and interesting things. And they didn't even have a name for the company yet. They were just a division of Take-Two Interactive. And uh, they hired me a short time later. And their only caveat was like, you know, <clears throat> like, ah, we can't have you all over. We understand you put out records. We understand about the concerts, but we can't have all that. This is bigger than that, Kevin. This is going to be something, something like the world has never seen before. Like, because that is how they talked. So that was, <laughs> that was the deal. So like, I was like, all right, cool. I have one show booked on the calendar, like a concert. And I'll do, put on that show, but then I won't put on any more shows and I won't put out any more records. So then I, I didn't for uh, for a few years. But that was that was how I got to work at Rockstar Games. And uh, when they hired me, they didn't tell me what my job title was going to be. They said that they either had me slotted in as a producer or as a marketing manager, but they didn't know which one yet. So on my first day, I got introduced to someone and he introduced himself as the new producer so in my mind i was like oh cool i must be the new marketing guy so <laughs> so i was and uh i went on to work uh, also on the soundtracks you know just in a um uh so you know like in other words i wasn't the sole force behind uh, the rockstar game soundtracks by any means but uh in the early days and on particular games uh and etc i was involved in the soundtrack stuff for like thrasher skate and destroy and uh uh, what else? Some other the, or Grand Theft Auto, the London one. Like there was a lot of times you would have to like license music and put together music for um, trailers and commercials and stuff like that. So I felt like I got to stay connected with music by still <clears throat> curating some of the soundtracks and, and doing that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And because Rockstar was such a very small company. Like they announced themselves as the company Rockstar about three or four months after I started. Um, when they announced themselves as a company, um, damn, I just I, I hate when I do this. I have I have these notes in front of me from an interview I did earlier today, and every time my eye goes past them, it starts reading them, and then I forget the point of what I was about to say. That's okay. I mean, you you were talking about what you were doing at Rockstar Games and how you got into the the, the soundtrack part of it. And, and the licensing of the music for, for those games, which is, I mean, music <clears throat> became such a huge part of video games. You know, I played Super Mario. I grew up playing Super Mario Brothers, right? We all know the tune. Like, it's just Of course, it's iconic. Yeah. And, and which is funny because less than 20 years later, 
you're directing the cinematics of a game called 25 to Life. Now, <laughs> I'm playing Super Mario Brothers, and, and I don't know if you remember the original Nintendo. It had that little robot. Oh, yeah. Rob, yeah, Rob, who, who would help the you play stuff. Operating buddy. Yeah, he didn't last very long though. Um, he could he could only do very little, <laughs> but I was I was highly enamored with the the premise. Right, of it. just watching him. Um, but but you you know, <laughs> then the industry changed to the point where games have a cinematic director, like, and that was 15 years ago from now. Like it's just right. Think about like, it now. What these things are and what they've become. Like when you first got into the the, the back end side of video games. Did you see it getting here? Like, did you see where this thing was going to go? Well, to me, yes, I did, because I felt like it was already there in my mind. Obviously, I learned that it could go even further. But to me, video games were the ultimate. And maybe I was just seeing things slightly ahead of the curve just because of my own um, interest in them. But you could see. And and it was Rockstar who broke all the rules and not just in a – uh, a way to pay them lip service. Like they literally broke all the rules. The things those guys would do were not done anywhere else. Like when I thought I was like, all right, I've gone from running a New York hardcore record label called striving for togetherness records that put out 19 releases and had a few ready to go. Uh, when we stopped to do Rockstar, um, <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know, man. I can't even. <laughs> yeah, it's insane how things go, and we could never predict it. You know, you could never, never call those things going going down the way they do. Uh, that game, Twenty Five to Life. I looked into it, working as a cinematic director, and what I noticed about it is looking into it is that it doesn't it didn't get the best reviews. Right? Doesn't doesn't get sure. reviewed very well. In the role that you had, does that impact you at all? No, it, it only impacts me like because I want the games to be good. Everybody involved wants the game to be as good as it possibly can. And what ends up happening is video games cost so much money to develop and they take so much time. And that's one of the ways Rockstar broke the rules. And that point I was making before was that I thought working on all these crazy records and touring Europe and doing all this stuff with bands that I had done my crazy days and now I was moving into like the big time of video games. I was moving into the big time of video games, but the craziness from the record label and the touring days totally prepared me and made me extra qualified to work at Rockstar. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you were just getting started. And you thought you were nearing the, you know, crossing a line or something. And really, you were just getting to just the beginning. But, um, but with games like 25 to Life, like in other words, I'm in a game like 25 to Life, I literally put together the entire soundtrack for that game. So it's, it's DMX, it's um, Tupac, it's uh, a very young Tech Nine who is also a playable character in that game. That's 2005, I want to say. And Tech Nine today is one of the biggest rappers in the world. But in 2005, he was just, just as talented, but maybe not as prominent. But so I, the details I could control was was things like the name of the game, the packaging of the game, the taglines of the game, the soundtracks of the game, like how the trailers and the commercials and all that stuff felt and the messaging, you know what I mean? And just massaging all that because it's the marketing side of things, too. It's like to me getting to write cinematics or be involved in directing them or whatever. Uh, that's like a great honor, but that's almost like doing commentary on wrestling shows like sometimes you're booking travel or doing all these different mm -hmm. things 
uh, along the way. And in a way, the commentary is the part you would do for free. You know what I mean? It's the ultimate celebration of the of the art form, especially like I'm fortunate enough to work with state of the art companies today, like uh, uh, Game Changer Wrestling, which does shows internationally when there's not a pandemic. Ditto uh, <clears throat> here in California for like West Coast Pro Wrestling, which is on independent wrestling TV and all pro wrestling and UGWA and uh, hosting stuff on the WrestleBuds and on indie, independent wrestling TV. So I'm trying to try to make some moves. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I, it's funny you say that you talk about the things that you the part you would do for free and all the things that you do. I locally work with somebody else to put on to promote Impact Zone Wrestling, IZW here in Arizona. And there's so much work that goes into it. But all that work is done just so I can stand there and watch what I've booked happen and watch the talent right. cut off because I can't wrestle, right? So and, and is there a better feeling in the world than when you have something laid out that even if it's the littlest thing where so you bring in a guy that's just there to put someone else over, but you give them a spot or you see something in them that, hey, if you do this, it'll be really cool. So make sure you do this. And then when they do it and they get super over from it or it totally pops the crowd and just have, being able to contribute those little moments or, or thoughts to things and watching them play out is incredibly, uh, incredibly rewarding. Like I used to go to the store uh, when games would come out and just kind of mill around where the game was and then watch people coming in and buying it or seeing people react to the box and be like, oh, shit, and then buy it. You know what I mean? And I'm just right. standing there looking at it like all the times in meetings that I had to <laughs> fight fight to not change the box cover or not listen to some – there's some feedback that's good, but there's some feedback that's just bullshit. You know what I mean? Or people that just want to have to somehow – have say on something that it's like, this isn't your bag, you know? So that was one of the things that Rockstar, I learned at Rockstar was they did not give a damn. It didn't matter if the head of Walmart was like, I don't like the front of this package. And they're just like, well, all right then. You know what I mean? You don't have to <laughs> like it, but you ordered 650,000 copies of it or whatever. You know right. what I mean? Um, you know, last we checked, Six months ago, you were running the pool supplies department. Now you're running video games because Walmart, I don't know if you knew this, Walmart is so massive and they so fear corruption that they rotate what department you work in like every six to 12 months. So you might be heading up the gun department and six months later, you're heading up the yarn and crafting supplies department so you don't forge any relationships. But meanwhile, I, you know, what kind of special specialities are you developing if you never can fully get a grasp on what it is you're supposed to be doing in the first place right yeah no i didn't know that and that's that's i mean they have the reasons and obviously there's a billion of them so it's yeah it's <laughs> you know it is a couple it is of Walmart. billion get, gaining it's interest all the time all the time and getting bailed out too yeah <laughs> think about that crazy well, how the world works well well we're waiting for our check like walmart check. has got the the massivest check ever. Of course they did. Of course they did. So you later, and, and, and I'm kind of jumping over some of the wrestling stuff right now, but I got to include this in there because and people can still find this stuff over at, at Fuse.TV, but you were part of the Insane Clown Posse Theater on Fuse TV. And I want to yeah. set the scene for everyone listening because this is the <laughs> one that I checked out when I was prepping for this. Um, there's a clip where ICP is talking about the Britney Spears song Work Bitch. And you're providing side commentary. With Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah. Now, how is this real life? Like, seriously. How yeah. is this a thing? 
that's one of the greatest things ever, man. Yeah, I, I was cast on season two of Insane Clown Posse Theater on Fuse, and the cast was Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope, the Insane Clown Posse, and Greg the Hammer Valentine. That that was the cast, and then I was, I joined it. You know what I mean? So it's just incredible. It's from the minds of ICP. They had a, a brilliant idea in collaboration with Fuse. And uh, they did one great season one, and then we had a great season two that uh, did even better in the ratings and everything. But then networks get acquired and politics and whatever. But I'm proud of the work we would do on that show, and that was all improv, obviously. There's no lines. There's no jokes. We have no ideas what they were going to play for us. You know what I mean? It was all just organic. Which is, I mean, that it's, you know, it's funny because in this day and age, reality unscripted TV is way too scripted and, and heavily scripted. Correct. We see that. But when stuff truly is unscripted and it pulls off great, like there's just, there's a different magic about it that you can see that it's obvious. And think about the cost of produ- producing. There's no writers. There's no editors of the written word, so to speak. There's none of that whole department. There's lit- like the, the the first, my first day on the set for season two, all these executives from Fuse flew in because they're like, I found out later, they were like, oh, well, who's this dude, Kevin Gill, that now is being put on the show? Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, is he, you know what I'm saying? They're a TV network, so they, they want to be like, oh, well, what's his Q rating or whatever? So they're all in the room to, uh, like, judge me, so to speak, even though I already have the gig. And we started off, and right from the bat, um, Violent J from ICP stands up and goes, Hey, uh, right before we roll, I just want to let everyone know um, the way this show works is like we say whatever the fuck we want to say, and KG says whatever the fuck he wants to say. KG can never be talking too much. He can never talk for too long. Anything KG wants to say, we officially sign off on. You know what I mean? And cool, let's roll. And I didn't know at the time, again, why he was doing that, but it gave me an incredible um, freedom and feeling of comfort and ability to start improving with them right out of the the gate. You know what I mean? But little did I know that was also a bit of a um, of a statement to the network and whatever, like this guy's on the show and like telling you now, basically, like, don't send us any notes about him or, or anything else. So... That that was like a big a big honor for me because uh, the Stranglemania uh, video that ICP put out and did commentary for was hugely 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 uh, influential on me. So to have those guys put me on their TV show and 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 put me on their wrestling league as a commentator and a ref and bring me all around the world and stuff that that's yeah like life you know what I'm saying life changing never before imagined how can this be possibly happening um, shit. Right, but it is happening. That's the crazy thing about it. Like, <laughs> like, how could this right. be happening? We get here. We are. Another thing that happened that that to me I can't even fathom. I wanted to get to Saints Row Four, video game oh, from 2013, because you were in the game. Now, when I say you were in the game, I don't mean you voiced a character. I don't mean you did motion cap for a character. Kevin Gill was in the like you're literally in the game. Cast as yourself. I mean, how badass is that? That's definitely, again, another you're, – you're bringing up all, like, the greatest highlights of my life or whatever, but that was absolutely incredible. And there's a lot of other people uh, did voice – like, Rob Van Dam does a voice in that game, uh, Christopher Daniels, uh, I believe Hulk Hogan. 
Uh, there's just a lot of people do voices in that game, and most of them play someone else. But somehow I got as myself as as I don't know if they call me Kevin Gill or KG Kevin Gill, but I have a radio station in Saints Row Four, and it's a banging radio station. And I recorded like hundreds of intros and outros to songs, and they don't play on every song, you know what I mean? But right. they have this whole little library of them in there. So if you just let it play. You'll hear different intros and outros over time as you're as you're listening. But it was just so cool. Like I never thought I'd be introducing like a Bismarck, like Bismarcky, just a friend, and doing like a full radio. But as me, like just the way right, I would do not, it if I was doing a show with you right now. You know, not what some I mean? random no, character, yeah, I, yeah. And to say my name in the game and whatever uh, that that's a huge honor to everyone at, at Volition and and at Saint Tro and. I got great feedback too from from the the director. Like, and it turns out the director does all like the Call of Duty stuff, like really high end, state of the art voiceover. And the first thing he had said to me was, "How come I haven't had you in my studio before?" But again, I'm just trying to be polite and stuff. So it, sometimes I don't. When people are making these statements, like I don't realize, like, oh, that dude's saying like you're really good. And why haven't you been here before? Where I'm thinking like, uh, he thinks I'm someone else, so I don't know why he's asking <laughs> this weird question. But I'm just gonna wait a while and hopefully it'll stop, you know? So <laughs> that's all true. But yeah, it was it was it was absolutely amazing, man. And uh I, I and I love that game. I think Saints Row four and Saints Row three, um, you know, all the I love all the Saints Rows. I was also legitimately a big time fan of those games and playing them on my own and had you know play them as soon as they would come out um, right so i was already already installed so to speak before they blessed me with my uh, my role That's so funny the, he he must be talking about somebody else so i'm just going to wait it out nope he was talking about you the whole time so that is yeah that like is sometimes you just think like well why would this guy who's like a big time it's this is in LA so i'm all like trying to be like low key quiet you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i don't want to cause any problems like so when he's like, "Why haven't I seen you before?" But the way he's saying it, like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> like, like almost seeming like, yeah. But meanwhile, yeah, I, I found out later that he meant something totally different. But another thing he told me that uh, I think is valuable uh, that I would love to share is that he said, uh, "He goes, you know something? He goes, you're the easiest actor that we've ever booked." And I go, I go, in what way? He goes, trade secret. He goes, I'm BCC'd on every email my assistant sends. He goes, I see all the emails go in. I see all the emails go out. Do you know how many people bother to say please and thank you and let me make this easy for you and da 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 He's like, you know what I mean? So he's like, I, I saw how you treated our, our people. He goes, I saw that you came down a day early and then told us you were in town just in case because you know the nature of production and how things can shift. And ironically, because something shifted, I was able to record all my stuff the day before because I happened to put myself in the picture. So uh, valuable advice and a, and a great experience there. So where does that come from? Where, where does the using the please and thank you and, and coming in a day early and, and things that not everybody does? Why do you do that? Why do you know to do that? Well, sometimes it just, you know, I... I with the being there a day early, that was like, I was just trying to literally bend over backwards to accommodate them because also every other actor in the game is in LA. Do you know what I mean? So I don't want to be the one that, Oh, this San Francisco guy. Oh, we go. He can't just, we can't tell them in the morning to come in the afternoon. You know what I mean? 
Right. So I was like, look, but the, the please and thank you and being polite, I think is just from, I don't know. I, I grew up, I love to read. I was always an avid reader. I used to write letters to all my favorite, uh, you know, wrestlers and sports athletes and musicians. So I just always felt that like, just be nice to people. You know, I remember as a real little kid, one time I was at a Mets game and all the people are standing down by first base, you know, in the stands, just yelling at the players who were playing, like demanding that they sign, you know, like just saying their name, like so-and-so sign this, so-and-so sign this. And then as the person walked by, I just said, like, I think it was Roger McDowell. I said, uh, excuse me, Mr. McDowell. And he just looked at me and I said, uh, if you have a second, w- would you be able to sign this? And I already had the marker and the cap off and was holding the card towards him. And he literally reached over, signed my card, gave it back to me, and then turned his back on the other 30 people that were screaming his name right. and walked away. So like things like that, I think you just, I, I try to learn uh, as I go. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so you, I see, think all these you see the response it gets. Sprinkle in. Yeah, you see the response it gets, and, and you don't forget things, which I think is very important. Um, the song that played when, when you came on, before you came on air, Sick of It All is For Now. That was your song choice, um, and, and, and you picked it for a reason. What was the reason behind picking that song? Well, I love uh, I love Sick of It All. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. One of the you know one of the most influential bands in in the New York underground scene, the New York hardcore scene, uh, longest running, biggest discography, uh, and great dudes. Like they've all, I've gone from being a, a fan of theirs to being uh, friends with the guys in the bands and uh, in the band. And I've gotten to travel with them. I got to tour Europe with them just as a fan as a friend like i'm on the tour bus and it's like hey kg the food is set up inside or hey they just put more beer in the you know in the in the ice trough or whatever and you know god bless the lighting person and the sound person and the merch person and the guitar tech and the people in the band because they all have to do their shit and i'm just there to be like well all right (laughs) you know what i mean so i love sick of it all and uh that song uh you know for now we'll try to keep keep our PMA. It it touches on that positive mental attitude. That's part of my core philosophy, but I think it communicates uh, a realness and a rawness to the idea of positive mental attitude, because for as many people get it and see it for what it is, so many people try to condemn you for having a positive attitude because they'll be like, Oh, so because this person was like super abusive to you and you told them to go fuck themselves. That's not very positive, bro. And it's like, that's not how PMA works. Like, you know what I mean? It's do the right thing, be a good person, but no part of it means let people walk on you or let people mistreat you. And uh, I just think the whole, that whole opening lines of the song just kind of lay that all out perfectly. Like, hey, in spite of what's going on, we're going to maintain a positive mental attitude. Like, please don't fucking try to tell us what to do. And you don't own us. You don't control us. This is our thing. You know what I mean? And I I just think that applies um, to so many things. And it's funny because I've I've never used it as intro music before. But when you asked me about it, I really thought about it and started listening to a lot of stuff and considering it. And I came up with that. And I was thinking of actually changing the music I use at other places, like live events and stuff, to actually use that song. Because I'm like, 
it's 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 perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny because I didn't intend to ask about the song until I heard it, and then I was like, no, this is the song's for a reason. And now, as I do these moving forward, everyone's going to get asked about their song. So thanks to your song. So and especially if you let it be, because in a way, for some reason, I. Because I ha- like I said, I have songs that I'll use like on different shows. Like oh, when I get introduced, they play this music, and I don't even have to think about it; it's already there. But being asked by you in this context, it made me just feel like, wow, what what song do I want to play? Like, what do I want to represent me uh, in this moment? So yeah, definitely for me, definitely a really meaningful song, a really meaningful band, and it just reminds me of where I'm from and and where I'm at, man. Hardcore reality. So the whole PMA thing, and, and and this is obviously a topic we can talk about for hours. But did you did you discover PMA, and then it changed you, or did you discover PMA and you already and you realized that's who you already were? It's both. I I think that there was like an element of it in me already without knowing what it was. Like I also never knew what improv was, but when I took an improv class, I was like wait a minute, like I've been, this is what I've been doing my entire life. Like this is what I do, but I didn't realize it was an art form and it was a thing and there was rules and and context and whatever, but I'm like, wow. Okay. You know what I mean? So, uh, to me, it's kind of like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But wait, but flip it one more time because I did the same thing. I, I talked, to, I trailed off uh, the end of the question. What was the formal question again? So basically, did you? Oh, the philosophy. Yeah. So I feel like I had some in me because you try, you know, just as a, a an outlook on life and my philosophy of kind of trying to evolve with the stimulus and the reactions, pro and con, uh, and then hearing about PMA and music, like the letters PMA. Like I first heard it from the band Leeway which is another Queens, New York band that's like criminally underrated, one of the most brilliant bands of all time. And they mentioned it because they were such devout followers of a band that uh, went on to mean a lot to me and being uh, some of the video games I worked on is called The Bad Brains. And The Bad Brains are credited with bringing the positive mental attitude concept to hardcore punk rock music in the, in the like, very early 80s. And they got it from the uh, the book by Napoleon Hill, um, Think and Become Rich. And uh, so they brought it to hardcore, hardcore uh, leeway, get, shouted it out to give props to Bad Brains. And then people like Toby Morse from H2O, um, he kind of ran with it. Because at the time it seemed like, and little, little did we know compared to now, but at the time it seemed like sometimes, man, you live in this negative world and there's all these negative forces and negative people and fuck them, fuck their energy, fuck their schemes and, and all of it. You know what I mean? And if you insulate yourself somewhat from that and you just try to be as positive as you can be. And again, being positive doesn't mean being wildly unrealistic to a fault. Do you know what I mean? Being positive doesn't mean like, please wipe your dog shit covered boots all over my face because I don't want to be rude by telling you to go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? But as far as, yeah, like, so to me, I think it was a little bit in me, but as I got it reinforced through music and then seeing how other people manifested it and try to put it out there and how it can really change your attitude or change your attitude and your whole outlook, because some we all know people and some of them now in this Internet culture are now they live online, but they're just like a little uh, like cesspool of hate 
and like rotten shit. And they just sit there and fester in it. And everything is bad. You know what I mean? Everything is, oh, I hate this show. Oh, this movie sucks. Oh, this guy's an asshole. And it's like, you have to be able to let go of all that and be able to, what is it that you like? And spend some time doing what you like. That's positive. You know what I mean? What is the positive aspects of this? And if things don't make you happy, don't spend any time on them. You don't really have any obligations. You define your parameters and your worldview and whatever. And if you know someone that's an absolute miserable, negative piece of shit that brings you down and brings everyone down around them, and you've put in extraordinary effort in trying to turn them around or give them a hint or a clue or a helping hand, it's okay to, I think, to move towards happiness for yourself. You can't always carry an entire village on your back. Everybody chooses what they choose, you know what I mean? And you have to choose happiness. You can't let other people's misery impact your ability to choose happiness. And I think that's a big part of positive mental attitude as well, in my opinion. I, I, I agree, and it's definitely an outlook that I share. It is funny you talked about misery, and, and when you're a super positive person, for some reason, some people will just choose to hate you. And oh, yeah. And you like that. And I, don't, and I think it's just because they are just upset that somebody else is happy. You know, I try to always have um, another trade secret of mine, but it doesn't have a catchy name, is I, I always have low expectations. Like, I don't get hyped up. I get hyped up for stuff, but not until it's really happening because I'm always like, ah, the flight's going to get canceled. The show could get canceled. Oh, not that I sit and think about these things, but as a kid, I had like pivotal instances where I would be so worked up and excited about something. And then, you know, some weather, or whatever, something would happen and it would just be so crushing the disappointment. You know what I mean? Of like, Oh, I can't believe this happened. So to me, it became a much easier way to just be like, Oh, this is going to be cool and not really get too invested in it until you're in the moment and living it. And this way you don't get poisoned. It's kind of like a precaution against poisoning yourself with misery over everything. You know what I mean? Because instead of that feeling that sting of disappointment, it's like, oh, hey, weren't you supposed to be at this thing? Oh yeah, they moved it to the fall. But if you were all like, oh my God, they moved it. You know what I mean? You could really like ruin your whole, you know, ruin your week, ruin your month. And when you have a bad attitude, besides turning off the people around you, you know, it's not good for your health. It's, it's not good for anything. And life's too short. You know what I mean? You know, it's funny you said ruin your week, ruin your month, because what happen, What happens is it becomes ruin your week, ruin your month, ruin your year, ruin your life. And and then it's yeah. just, and then at the end of it, you're like, what, what did I do? I wasted the whole thing. Yeah. What did all this hating, you know, what did all this hating get me? What did being a toxic person get me? And even though I get people who say, oh, well, this is like my outlet. This is just how I whatever. But like I said, when I was a kid, if I liked a comedian or an actor or a wrestling commentator or whoever it was, I would find out what their address was. Like, you know, they have, we would have official addresses back in those days. And I would write fan letters to people. And most of them would send me back an autographed picture or just a little like, hey, or something. You know what I mean? And that blew, blew my mind. So to me, the idea that thou, now you don't have to buy a stamp, you don't have to do any research, and you can interact with people or put a little light into someone's day, and instead you just are like trying to either hurt their feelings or hurt their uh, opportunity to work or hurt their like relationship with happiness, you know what I mean? And it's just like, 
it's just such bad karma. Like, what, where, where do you, where are you going with this? Like, what, what, what does this get you? To me, it doesn't get you anything in the end. It's just, it's just negativity, and it, it, it breeds more negativity. It does. It like, does. Like you, you can't spew hate out of your head twenty three hours a day and expect people to think that you're this happy dad or this happy husband or this happy anything. You know what I'm saying? If your life is that toxic, like let it go, move on, find the happiness. What makes you happy? Move towards it or put a little slice of it in your life. You know, look forward to the little things, man. It's true. I mean, that's what we got to do every day. So I want to kind of sum this thing up with, with kind of what I learned and, and what I want to do in all these interviews is, is what did Greg learn? And there's so many things that that can be pulled out of your experiences and things that, that you've shared and we didn't even get to all of them but that's you know time and place for that but when you were talking especially about being the easiest actor people have ever worked with the biggest thing i pulled out of a lot of this is from you is just treat people like they're important and 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 it's basically treating the little things the big things and medium-sized things all things like they're important and I think it's gotten you very far, and I think it could get a lot of people very far and, and maybe shift a perspective. So to me, the biggest thing I'm taking away is treat people like they're important. It seems so simple, but not everybody does it. And and if I could add to that, that's a great summary, and I would just add your word is your bond. Like uh, a lot of people don't honor their word, and it's one thing to make tentative plans or whatever, and it's another thing to always be the person. Again, this isn't the before times when we could go out and do things or travel places, but – to me, your word is your bond, and whatever it is, you have to you have to honor it. It makes you a better person, and it makes you wiser in your uh, decision making. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, that that's another KG life uh, life motto. We got lots of them. We got lots of them. So, and people can you know, there's lots of ways people can get more of those things. So let everybody know who's listening. Maybe they're not familiar. Maybe they haven't followed along. What's the best way for people to interact with you, find you, whether it's social media, you mentioned your website. Let's make sure people can find these things. Sure. Well, I appreciate, again, the airtime, and I hope everyone enjoyed my ramblings and got me all fired up to uh, to talk about and think about all this stuff. I would love to do a part two anytime. Um, I'm on Twitter all too much, at OG Kevin Gill. You could also find me on Facebook at, Kevin, or at OG Kevin Gill or Kevin Gill, whatever. Same on Instagram. I have a web store called dignifiedbastard.com where I put out uh, some of the old Striving for Togetherness SFT records. Um, I've been reissuing those on vinyl and digital and other forums, formats, through my company dignifiedbastard.com. I also have a Patreon for the Kevin Gill Show, patreon.com slash Kevin Gill Show. And if you watch independent wrestling TV or you desire to watch independent wrestling TV, uh, there's a new series that starts this week called Inside IWTV, and it's hosted by yours truly, KG. It's a weekly interview series, video and audio, right there on uh, Independent Wrestling TV. You know they got that Roku app right now, so they're chilling on all these platforms, and uh, I'm going to be delivering them some flavor uh, each and every week, so I can't wait to be doing that. I think guest one is going to be Matthew Justice who is one of the current standouts on the independent scene of, of this world of ours. And then, uh, I'm, oh, uh, prowrestlingtees.com slash Kevin Gill is a good place to catch me as well. And uh, I'm the voice of Game Changer Wrestling, and I'm very proud to be. You can catch all my work with them on smartmarkvideo.com 
and on independent wrestling TV. If you use the code Kevin Gill on independent wrestling TV, you get a free five day trial to peruse that library, that daily programming schedule. I recommend the new uh, Joey Janela's Lost in New York, the pop-up video edition, which is now streaming on independent wrestling TV. What a night that was. Uh, that To me, that we were talking earlier about ECW and mm-hmm. what ECW brought to the table and, and how things changed and what would, would and wouldn't be possible without ECW. Um, I think for a lot of people, if you watch that uh, – that particular game changer show, Joey Janela's lost in New York. You'll see how many people from that show got a contract from that show. You know what I mean? It's quite, uh, it's quite staggering when you break it down, but, uh, and then wrestle buds, like I said, wrestle buds on Instagram, uh, me and my homie, Sean from the hot tub. We are a commentary duo in game changer wrestling in, uh, the underground wrestling Alliance. And we're even scheduled to wrestle in what uh, not wrestle. We're even scheduled to commentate together in West Coast Pro Wrestling, which is dope. But me and uh, Sean are going to be trading off on interviews every day almost on Instagram live, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, First one is on – well, whatever. They'll be happening at the time this airs. So peep it. There's a lot of great guests, and it's just fun and chopping it up. And last but not least, the Kevin Gill Show, a 160-something episode podcast series Every one of them recorded in person, face-to-face, with icons of punk rock and hardcore music and pro wrestling. People say, who is this Tim Thatcher? Well, you could listen to him on The Kevin Gill Show, one of the, I think, two interviews he's ever ever granted. Uh, who is this Matt Riddle guy? Who are the Young Bucks? You know what I mean? Uh, Gallows, uh, Mick Foley, Rikishi, Drake Younger. Uh, I could go on and on, but I encourage everyone to please listen to The Kevin Gill Show. And like you, Greg, I try to do... Um, evergreen interviews that more talk about concepts and life and memories and journeys rather than, yes, yeah, so this Friday night on the 12th, we're going to be doing this. You know what I mean? Because that, that stuff to me has limited appeal, but a, a conversation can can last forever. So to everyone who's still hanging in there, I love you. Check out our friends at GCWmerch.com to support Game Changer Wrestling. And, uh, and that's really it, man. Stay positive. Keep that PMA. It's not easy right now. You know what I'm saying? God. We're living literally in times like that uh, none of us have ever lived in before. You yeah, know, no. even even other you know uh, terrible things from the past don't seem to compare in the magnitude to this, and it just shows you the measure of people and what we're all made of. And you know, you just have to be nice to each other. You know what I mean? Like the very simple rule: don't be a dick. It still it applies now more than ever. And be self aware. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's it. I love you. Less conversation, a little more action, please. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. A little more bite, a little less bark, a little less fight, a little more spark. Close your mouth and open up your heart, and baby, satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. Baby, close your eyes and listen to the music. Good morning, Greg DeMarco here. I'm in the midst of a morning walk, and it's more than just a leisurely stroll, it's an actual walk where the goal is to cover a lot of miles, to keep up a good pace, and just to continue to get in the exercise that a lot of us are missing during this whole COVID-19 thing. Now, you might hear cars go by or anything like that. That's because I'm, you know, trying to get the pace up, trying to get the miles in. 
I used to do driving with DeMarco on my way to and home from work. This is kind of similar to that. May have some quality issues, might see some background noise, but that's okay. That's what makes this fun and authentic. And as you know, being authentic is one of my big things. For better or for worse, no bullshit, be authentic. But what I wanted to take this time to do to go over what's called my Rona routine. Now, the coronavirus hit, everybody's lives had to change, life got turned upside down. And in a couple weeks ago on the radio, I heard, I believe it was Jim Rome. It was Jim Rome. People sharing their Rona routine, how life has changed, what they've had to do. Some good, some bad. Some people were making the most of it. Some people most definitely weren't. And my goal from day one was to, in fact, make the most of it. So I want to give you my Rona routine now. I used to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go to work and, you know, get ready, exercise, do whatever I could, and then go off to work and get there before seven to start the work day. So I just want to give you that frame of reference. Now the alarm goes off at five. So I get an extra hour of sleep in, which is very exciting. The alarm goes off at five. I get up, I, you know, do the usual morning stuff just for a little bit. And then I hit DDP yoga, usually anywhere between 45 minutes and an hour depending on the session that I choose for that day. And then I've got the body weight exercises that I do in the morning. And you're looking at a combination of squats, push-ups, abs, dips, uh, tricep dips, incline push-ups, uh, some back exercises, supermans, bird dogs, and I've recently added planks to the list. And I do those every morning, several sets, uh, a bunch of reps of each of those to kind of round out the morning. Then it's some breakfast and I sit down at seven to get to work. And I usually, in the morning, 6.45 to 7 is when I sit down and start working. Crank out reports, which is part of my job in the morning. Get the reports out to my team. And typically by 8, I'm out the front door, headed on the first walk of the day. Now, this is not a leisurely walk. This is definitely walking with a purpose. And, and I kind of track my pace throughout certain walks and trying to keep that pace under a, uh, a certain number. I also run, but that's later. So I do that morning walk. About a mile and a half, I think, in the morning, 1.8 miles. Then work, work through about noon, depending on what uh, what meetings are on the calendar for that day. Then it's out back out the door again for about 45 minutes, usually about another 2.8 to 3 miles. Probably about, well, actually, no, probably like 3.2 to 3.5 miles. I'll come back in, grab some lunch, back to work. So lunch, lunch goes an hour. Work through the end of the day till about four, anywhere from four to 4.15, depending on what comes at me at the end of the workday, what my team needs, I'm a manager, so that's where uh, where that kind of, you know, flexibility comes into play. From there, immediately change out the front door and off for the PM workout. Now, obviously, as you know, gyms are closed, so it's more road, road work for me. So I usually hit anywhere from five and a half to seven and a half miles, depending on how I'm feeling that day, the trek that I choose, and just kind of sometimes, you know, you get lost in it, right? You just get lost in it. So uh, I got about three different treks. I'm trying to add a fourth one now, just to keep things fresh and exciting. Then it's home, dinner, shower, family time. Takes me to about 10 o'clock, everybody goes to bed, and then I'll sit down, do any computer work that's needed, podcasting, recording, producing, updating on the website, publishing, all that stuff tends to happen at night, content creation, everything else. And then it's off to bed, it's around 12, 12.30, back up at five for the next day. So that is my Rona routine. Hit me up at ChairShotGreg, Greg DeMarco at thechairshot.com. I'd love to know your Rona routine. But the biggest thing about the Rona routine 
is that it is a routine. And that's what's key to the Rona routine is you've got to have a routine. Even though we're in a week six of this bullshit, if you don't have a routine, man, get one. Like, we don't know how long this is going to go. We don't know how many more months it is. We might be halfway through it. We're probably not halfway through it. So figure out what you need to add, what you need to do, and just go ahead and tack that on, you know? Figure out what, what, it, what it's going to take. You know, maybe for you, it's not every day. Maybe it's every other day. Who knows? Set a goal. You know, I was lucky this time around. I've had bouts of downtime before where I didn't take full advantage of it. There was a time where I was laid off from a job um, and really just turned into a month of sitting at home collecting a paycheck because they said they were going to bring us back, and they did. It was really weird. Uh, they didn't bring back everybody, so I was one of the lucky ones. So during that four weeks, I wasted my time. I didn't work out. I didn't do anything. This, this was back in 2016. Just did not make the most of it. 2019, I was laid off again, allowed me to get to a, a bad place physically as well. And I've had some issues physically with not taking care of myself. And so that's led to, you know, not being able to promote wrestling shows like what happened in 2016, all of that. So it, it's, you know, the history's there. You know that about yourself. You got to be smart about that. So this time around, I entered this quarantine with a goal. Uh, I just wanted to figure out what I could do to come out of this thing better than I when I went in. I've told this story before on either the Greg DeMarco Show or the Hashtag Miranda Show, or excuse me, Chair Shot Radio, or the Hashtag Miranda Show. This is the Greg DeMarco Show. And I, uh, and it's worth telling again. But basically, the first day of the quarantine, March 16th, remember that was 316 day, that really bad episode of WWE Raw. Um, I, I went to the gym. And I remember as I was leaving the gym, that's when the email came through saying that the gym was closing noon the next day. So I knew that the gym part of my routine was going to be gone. Now, I usually alternated road work, which is a combination of running and walking with the gym on alternating days. And having that being taken out, I knew I had to do something. So I established a goal. Originally, it was 20,000 steps per day, which was nine miles between running and walking. And quickly uh, kind of blew that out of the water, changed that goal to 22,000 steps per day. And really now it's 23,000 steps per day. That's where I've left it. I've had days where I've hit... 29,000. I had a day of 43,000 steps, which was a goal. That was a couple Fridays ago, back on April 10th, that I was able to accomplish because I was off that day. And just really, really just pushing myself to see what I can do, what I can add. You know, the second weekend is when I added the body weight exercises. I'm still doing the DDP yoga every morning during the week, not on the weekends. And just really pushing myself to see what I can do, how I can come out of this thing better than, than when I entered. And it's not easy. Like, to be honest with you, it's become a real challenge. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for my family. They have to adjust to, to my schedule sometimes. But we make it work. You know, we make it work as best we can. And, and we're all trying to come out of this better. And it's caused my family to exercise more. You know, one of my tracks is around a, a two lakes that are right next to other two small lakes. It's uh, 2.8 miles to go around one of those lakes. Or two of those, well, one lap around both those lakes. And I usually go around twice to get that's uh you know i get about 5.65 miles in to around two of those things which is you know a good portion of my miles for the day my miles usually come in between 11 and 13 miles depending on the steps that i do but now the kids will come with me a lot of times it's my son he brings his bike and he cycles and he has gotten himself up to doing 19.6 miles while i do while i walk my uh because there i just walk it's not they're actually trying not to have people run there they're trying to you know maintain social distancing so trying to keep that for walking and dogs and families and that sort of thing but i definitely keep up the pace well, my son now cycling which is allowed there as well 
He's hit 19.6 miles. He's a soccer player, so it's kind of killing him to not have those regular soccer practices. So he's doing things to make sure that he maintains his fitness levels as well. Just an example. We're doing a lot of different things as a family to keep that going. It's a group effort, man. Whoever's around you, they got to know what you're doing, support you, and make it all happen. So this is a very rough cut. Uh, like I said, I am out. I'm, I'm covering miles right now. It's about 8.20 in the morning on Monday, April 20th. So you'll be listening to this. It releases either tonight or tomorrow morning, this brand new edition of the Greg DeMarco Show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Depending on where I put this, you've either heard the interview with Kevin Gill or you're about to hear the interview with Kevin Gill. That's fantastic, super positive, but also just kind of, you know, a look into to why he's so positive. So I hope you like that, or I hope you will like that. Again, hit me up, at ChairShotGreg on social media. That's the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. You can email me, GregDeMarco at TheChairShot.com. Go to TheChairShot.com forward slash Greg DeMarco. You can sign up for my email newsletter, which is free. Uh, that's gregdemarco.substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. If you're not uh, online or just want to plug that into your phone and pull that up, it's free. Put out lots of content all the time. I think March put out about 19 bits of content so far. So today's the 20th. Not a bad little uh, little stretch. I'm sorry, that's the month of April. But, of course, WrestleMania played a large part into that. So hope you enjoy things. Hit me up. Let me know if you need anything. And, uh, yeah, let's just keep this thing going. Remember, let's get out of this better than when we walked into it. Get down, get down. 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 Chairshot.com. Always use your head.